0: Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two movie fans, 72 movies, one cage. That's Mike Manzi, I'm Joey Lewandowski, and we just watched Racing with the Moon.
1: This is our fifth episode. Fifth episode. So, um,
0: what what did you think? Uh, I really like this movie. Came out in 1984, so it's a new year for Cage. Plays a character named Nikki. so, you know... Not a stretch. Not a stretch. It's the second time in the five movies that he's basically been named his actual name. What I also did like is that later in the movie, he goes by an alias, and he's Bud, and in uh, Fast Times, he was Brad's Bud, so he's sort of Bud in that, too. Pick up that
1: connection. More Cage So the name,
0: I mean, his names are all sort of, like, in that same sort of wheelhouse. This movie, Cage isn't the star of this movie. There's, again, sort of like Rumblefish. He's not in it for pretty long stretches, but he is third build, and he is in it a whole lot. Whenever he's on screen, we were talking about it before we started recording, Almost all of his lines are just amazing. And so it's sort of hard to pick the ones that we want to include in this episode, because he's really just sort of... He's almost a comic relief a little bit, because this movie does get heavy at times. He's a comic relief, and he's also just sort of the wacky friend who ultimately teaches Sean Penn how to be a better person, live a better life, whatever. Basically so he doesn't wind up like Nicolas Cage.
1: Yeah, they are playing off each other really well in this movie, like... Very naturally, like their best friends almost in real life, too. I was very surprised by the chemistry with everybody in this movie. Uh, I enjoyed it very much as well. I almost got an Amblin Entertainment-type feel with, you know, this Spielbergian-esque feel to this movie.
0: Definitely. So this reunites Nicolas Cage with Sean Penn from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It briefly reunites him with Crispin Glover from The Best of Times. (laughs) From The
1: Best of Times, way back in episode one.
0: Way back in episode one. And it it pairs him with Elizabeth McGovern, who he'll later see on screen. I don't even know if... I don't think he he interacts with her at all in Kick-Ass.
1: Yeah, I wasn't Uh, even aware that she was in Kick-Ass until you mentioned it.
0: Yeah, I had to look her up, and she's just basically... she's Kick-Ass's mom. So, like, that's... I think she's only in a couple scenes. It's not like she has a huge part in that movie, but it just sort of... There's not that many characters in this movie... And sort of, you know, the top three build people, or the top two build people, in addition to Cage, he's worked with in other things. So it's just sort of coincidental and cool and whatever.
1: Yeah, and this feels more like a fleshed-out character for him this time, you know, with an arc, you know, a full-on supporting character.
0: So the one thing, I guess the first thing to sort of talk about is that Sean Penn is the lead... He plays a guy, and I've already forgotten his name, and we just talked about it, and I literally just watched the movie. <laughs> his, his name is Henry Nash. Henry Nash, and they call him Hopper, but they almost never, as opposed to Rusty James in Rumblefish, who they say his name every 45 seconds, they almost never say Hopper's name. They never say Henry Nash. He calls him Nick Cage calls him Hopper, Hopper, and it just sort of... I guess it's just, you know, style of writer or whatever. It's just weird how some movies, you can, you can watch an entire movie and just not necessarily know the character's name.
1: Yeah, I actually like the way several details are revealed in this movie. The plot is really well-structured, uh, and the only thing you get right off the bat is a title card that says 1942, December, California. After that... That's basically all you get, and then throughout the movie, all these details about the characters are revealed until the end, when a full picture of everybody is sort of complete for you to look at.
0: Yeah. So it stars Sean Penn, as we were saying, and it's sort of, it's almost as far from Spicoli as it could possibly be, I would say. Yeah, he still Um, has a
1: little naivete to him, sort of,
0: I would say. Yeah. He's cultured, he plays the piano. Yes. Yes. He's headed off to war. I mean, everybody. There really couldn't be a Spicoli in 1942. (laughs) Probably not. And I think that's something worth talking about. Whether we want to do it now or later, is just how different the world was in 1942. The world of this movie, the world in which they have everybody is basically going to school. Like I I don't, I can't imagine how difficult it would be to concentrate when you're just like in high school in December and January, knowing that in mid February you're you're getting shipped off to Europe.
1: Yeah, and we get to see in this movie two different ways of dealing with that pressure and that anticipation, right? Um, We see Sean Penn, who sort Mm -hmm. of just is ignoring it, the entire movie. Uh, And then we see Nick Cage, who sort of can't stop talking about it, you know, constantly going on about new weapons the Nazis have, you know, all the Japanese people he's going to slaughter. So you really do get that, you get both points of view, or you get at least two points of view of what these kids, the way they handle the situation.
0: And I think they share a common or a commonality in that they're both scared to go to war. And they're just sort of handling it differently. Yeah, they um,
1: seem to be trying to own up to being a man, whatever that means, at that time, but right. they don't want to expose their emotions about what they're scared of. I mean, eventually they will open up to each other uh, somewhat, but, you know, when it comes to the war, it's just, I don't know, it's a different level.
0: So the the movie is... It's, it's a heavy movie, but it is also a comedy. There is a lot of funny stuff in it. It's lighthearted. hearted um, It's got some whimsy, right? There are some things, like the, one of the first lines of the movie is uh, Sean Penn's leaving his house, and his dad comes in, and he says, Hey, Argus... And Sean Penn says, no, Dad, Argus is the dog. I'm Henry. (laughs) Which, like, just, does like, it's such a weird, like, line to include in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, you sort of think, is this going to be, like, that kind of movie? And it's not really. It is sort of, you know, like you were saying, it's lighthearted. But that's just sort of a very strange, in terms of tone, uh, a joke to sort of kick the movie off with.
1: Yeah, I agree. The dad character isn't exactly comic relief either he doesn't come back and try and make his son laugh or the audience later on he's actually right a very serious character later on you know that gives pretty good advice to his son it's very interesting but the movies um. like that in the way that uh you know at first it has nothing to do with the war you have no idea that he's off the war until like the third scene he's right he gets up and he's um walking along the tracks and yeah. doesn't he walk his dog and then he goes to work and then you find out that like oh they're they're gonna be shipped off in a little while.
0: Yeah, I mean, really sort of without... Like, I think this movie could be told in any era, instead of instead of going to war, you could sort of, you know, plug in any kind of thing that people are fearing because there, these actors of that age, they're all sort of coming of age in one way or another. And, and the big fear at this time in the 40s was going to war. You don't necessarily, like you were saying, like you, you start the movie off not knowing exactly where we are until you get the title card that we're in 1942. And you don't really know what the driving conflict is going to be until they start to talk about it it can just sort of be a slice of life about whenever it's happening
1: yeah it almost has that american graffiti feel to it where it's just you know there's there's story there's underlying events and things but mostly it's a bunch of kids hanging out and like again that's sort of what we have here they're just killing six weeks before they're shipped off and we get to see you know sean penn's starts a budding romance, and Nick Cage sort of gets in trouble with his romance, and exactly. you know, we see what the quest for getting laid <laughs> results in <laughs> for them, with uh, you know, different consequences for both.
0: Exactly. So I think what we can do, I mean, there's sort of, there isn't necessarily, like, there are through lines for characters, but there's not like a, a, a sequence of events. Like you're saying, just two guys sort of killing six weeks before they get shipped off to war. It's not like Rumblefish in that it's sort of, you know, dreamlike and kind of, in a weird way, hard to follow, but it doesn't necessarily follow, like, Valley Girl is, you know, they start their relationship, they break up, they get back together happily ever after. But I think we can, like it, like when we did for that movie, we can go through it beat by beat and talk about what happens and how great Nicolas Cage is pretty much from start to finish in this movie.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: I guess we could start, because I mean, we sort of introed the movie, but we can start with uh, when we first meet... Nick Cage, and he is working as a bowling pin resetter at a bowling alley and just drinking hard liquor while resetting these pins.
1: Yeah, I love this introduction of his character because it's almost as if he's being shelled by fire, you know, like he's already in the trenches. And, you know, the people bowling and him having to reset the pins, it's almost like he's being fired upon and being shelled upon the beach or something.
0: But he's being shelled upon by George McFly himself, Crispin Glover. And I feel like, and this is never really explicitly said, and it might not necessarily be true, I don't know if the Gatsbys, as they call the the rich kids in this movie, if the Gatsbys are going to get shipped off to war too. It seems like they're living a much more carefree lifestyle. They have the money. They don't need to work for a living. They don't need to work to get by. And they're not plagued with this weight of getting shipped off to war.
1: Yeah, I almost expected Crispin Glover's character to say something like you know you're going to war and you're gonna my daddy's making the weapons or something. I get to go to college and like exactly I'll be making the weapons well you'd be shooting them
0: and they do they do later in the movie I think Caddy who's Elizabeth McGovern's character says to hopper something along the lines of you know you could still be going to school like basically you don't have to go to war you could go to school instead and he says well I have to get I have to go over there one way or another, so I might as well get it over with. He just sort of resigned to his inevitability that, you know, he might not necessarily be able to afford school and he knows he's gonna have to get over there anyway, so why delay the inevitable? Whereas a Christian Glover character, a Gatsby, and he's literally just credited as Gatsby boy, can have his daddy pay for four years of college and by that point it'll be in nineteen forty six, World War II will be over, and they'll still be, you know, places for him to get shipped off to if he even gets over there but the worst of it will be behind them
1: yeah uh, crispin glover is uh very weaselly and i don't like his character at all he is he is throwing a bowling ball at his one-time best friend from another yeah. movie and just i'm so happy when uh, sean penn decks him in the face
0: yeah and there's so much blood from that one punch
1: and the blood gets on crispin's Date or girlfriend?
0: Yeah, and Nick Cage goes to clean it up and just basically pops (laughs) a feel while he's like he he sort of like wipes off the blood and is doing nothing. And then like as he's walking away, he just reaches out and grabs the girl's boob and then just he just tunes in Tokyo. It's crazy. (laughs) It's the best. I mean, it's just and it just like they don't nobody comments on it. He just does it and just walks away. And the girl seems like okay with it, which is sort of weird. But hey, that's it's a character trait, and clearly Nick Cage is a better person than. Gatsby boy, Crispin Glover. The next thing, and like I really like what I like about this movie are there are these little bits of characterization as we were sort of talking about, and you know while they're talking just sort of about life, they're outside just filling up vodka bottles with water, and I'm not sure if they're running like a scam. Did yeah. they ever explain what they were doing with that? I'm,
1: I, the only thing I could sort of extrapolate is that they're watering down the liquor to save money because maybe they serve to underage kids or just to save a buck. But yeah, they are definitely filling vodka bottles up with like a little bit of vodka and then like a lot of bit of water.
0: They're, they're they're hustlers, and that sort of comes back later in what... I mean, we'll get to it, but it's probably my favorite scene in any of these five movies that we've watched is them playing pool. I love that scene yeah, so much. Yeah, that,
1: uh, that is a terrific scene.
0: Again, well, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but that's two movies in a row where Nick Cage is a pool hustler.
1: Another Cage in action.
0: So as I was watching this, you know... Because Nick Cage is in the first, he's sort of in the first 10 or 15 minutes, then it just sort of follows Sean Penn as he's sort of courting Elizabeth McGovern. And I was thinking that what we could do is come up with like an alternate timeline, or like a a, a behind-the-scenes movie, or I'm not sure exactly the best way to describe it. But like, talk about what Nick Cage's character is doing in all these movies while he's not on screen.
1: Okay, yeah, I understand.
0: Because you were saying for the last one you you sort of wanted a prequel or a sequel where Cage is disbanding the gang and sort of moving on and taking over. Here, I mean, you sort of get a sense of what he's doing. He's probably just Up to more wacky antics when he's not on screen. I guess having unprotected sex with his girlfriend. But I think it'd be sort of, you know, if there are any things that we can guess as to what he's doing when he's off camera, I think that be kind of could be kind of cool.
1: Well, the one the one situation that he does get himself into is uh, he gets his girlfriend pregnant, and they need one hundred and fifty dollars for an abortion,
0: which seems like a lot of money. Compared to what other things cost back then?
1: Yeah, it does. Even even for 1942, it seems a little expensive. I was even a little shocked that she could get that was an option that she could get an abortion. <laughs> That's I mean, true. They take her to uh, like a trailer in the woods from a horror right. movie. I was uh, sort of taken aback. Second cage movie where abortion takes place. It's uh... Uh, it's an 80s issue as well as a modern issue.
0: It is. It's just... It's 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 weird... I, I'm not sure if it's more weird or just sort of something that we should come to accept that there are so many cage connections between all these movies. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that's really what you get. Like, the real benefit you get by watching all these movies in order. You really see the evolution of fears and trends and sort of... You know, not just in terms of, like, storytelling, but also in terms of filmography and the way you make movies and everything like that. And I think it's sort of cool that, like, there's so much in common with these first five movies that we've watched, even though all five are pretty different in different ways.
1: Yeah, it's definitely cool, and it makes me wonder if, his influence had anything to do with it you know if he picked a project based on his personal tastes or likes or if while he was on that project you know he somehow influenced the direction of certain scenes or certain you know ideas you know was able to sort of add his his originality you know his cageness if you will uh (laughs) in, in areas where maybe the director or writer you know wasn't sure and you know they gave it a shot and it, and it ended up working i like to believe that
0: yeah i like to believe that too that sounds let's let's go with that okay <laughs> um one one note i have here we like to talk about cage's hair in all the movies his hair is pretty scaled back in this movie he almost looks like a young sailor ripley from wild at heart <laughs> you know, he wears the wife beater a lot he's got the slick back hair uh,
1: much more of a, a greaser look Uh, Even though he's sort of ahead of the times. In the last movie, uh, I got a much more of an Elvis vibe from him. And in in this one, he kind of looks like the guy that might beat Elvis up. (laughs) I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but uh, he just... The slick back, short, almost Cruise style gives him um, more menace, I thought. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. But while his hair is sort of toned down and slick back, his chest hair as we talked about you know when it was it was shaved into like a an s shape in a previous movie it's sort of out of control and i think that's partially because he's wearing the wife beater but he's got this like very like yeah. <laughs> it's it's is sort of unkempt. yeah it's yeah. it's unkempt. cage is sort of known for crazy hair and this it's but his in this his hair is toned down but his chest hair uh, it's turned up to eleven.
1: Uh, I wonder if he got that, if his dad gave him that black eye because uh, that um, you know unruly chest hair of his. And he just <laughs> he just told him to shave it and shave him one day. He just hit him with the razor right in the eye. I don't know, but uh, yeah. almost getting back to you know what was his character doing? Well, Sean Penn was off romancing. Uh, right. Do you have any? I mean, it was really interesting when they revealed their scheme. But um, do you think he tried? To get that hundred fifty dollars any other way, or was he sort of just waiting for Sean Penn's help, or do you think he you know maybe he was staking out the local candy shop or something and he was going to rob an old lady i I'm not sure, but uh things started flashing in my head you know where was he? what was he doing?
0: I mean I would like to imagine an alternate reality that's like with the montage sent to, or with a montage set to Yakety Sax where he's trying to, you know, come up with all these different ways to make money and everything's failing miserably. <laughs> in reality, I think the the more plausible in terms of like who the characters are, I really feel like he wouldn't be able to come up with any like reasonable way of getting the money without Sean Penn's help.
1: Yeah, he's almost the Rusty James in this one where he's not cunning or can't come up with the plan necessarily. Yeah. Always looking for sort of an easy answer.
0: So Sean Penn falls in love with this girl that he just sort of sees around, and he goes to the movies, and he walks out the movies, and he sees that she is at the ticket counter, and so he leaves a flower and walks away, and then he goes to the pie shop across the street? I guess it must be a small town, because it's not like coincidence that he's hanging out there. It just seems like it's their normal hangout, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's just the diner, and they were hanging out there after hours because they're trying to spend as much time together before they ship off.
0: And so, it seems like the movie theater is across the street and Elizabeth McGovern after her shift comes across for a piece of pie and Sean Penn jumps behind the counter and takes the diner operator's hat who's just he's just passed out at the counter. Which is strange. Um, well, he was old. She...
1: He was very old. So, you know, he probably just got tired and, you know, these kids are there every night. So they're not going to do anything crazy, especially not Sean Penn. Nothing crazy like give an entire pie away.
0: I call that the Sean Penn pie plan. <laughs> so Elizabeth McGovern comes in to ask for a piece of pie and wrap it up to go. And he just takes a whole pie and just wraps it up. And she says, oh, I only want a piece and he says, oh, don't worry, it's on special. And she's like, okay, thanks, bye. And she just leaves. <laughs> and then he picks up,
1: like, a meat cleaver to cut a piece of pie. And he, like, looks at it as if <laughs> it's, like, a circle peg in a square hole. And is just, like, does not compute. It does not uh, compute. Panics and just gives the whole pie away. And Nick Cage and is so, just, like, got this look on his face, like, dude, <laughs> you are the smoothest.
0: <laughs> yeah, Nick, like, so, so she sits down on the counter. And then Nick Cage just comes over and sits down next to her like doesn't even like interject he's just like i want a front row seat to like how embarrassing this (laughs) is gonna be
1: exactly i love that move
0: uh it's real good so then uh elizabeth mcgovern a little bit later is with her friend at the diner and sean penn walks in and she calls him over and says hey do you want to go out and he thinks he's she's asking him out on a date he's like oh yeah absolutely and then she's like okay great you can go out with my friend and so they go on a double date and they go to, go to a the US, roller rink.
1: Yeah, I think it's a USO hall, and they're having a roller skating event.
0: I think so. I'm not exactly sure, but it's on Christmas Eve, yes. which I don't think is, is, is necessarily worth pointing out, but uh, I just love movies. I love movies that are set at Christmas that aren't really about Christmas.
1: Yeah, it's it's got what I've become to call like the Shane Black christmas nest to a movie where it's, it's there, but it doesn't really serve any direct purpose to the story. It's just sort of takes place at Christmas time.
0: Yeah. And so he's sort of in a Sean Penn is sort of in like a kind of a Valley Girl situation, or what he thinks is a Valley Girl situation, you know, he's from the other side of the tracks as Elizabeth McGovern because he follows her home one night after he gives her the pie like a real creeper and sees her walk into this gigantic, gigantic house.
1: Yeah, it's, like, the biggest house in town, and Nick Nick Cage follows him following her.
0: Yeah, and he, like, shows up, like, immediately afterwards. So, like, I don't know, he didn't have to, like, sketch a ride on the bus. He could have just, you know, popped in the car and just followed along, but... <laughs> yeah, he could have just been like, Nicky, get me there. Like, follow that girl. Like, <laughs> he would have gotten there faster. Uh, but so we find out a little bit later in the movie that she's not actually rich. She's not actually Gatsby. Her mom is the housekeeper for the rich people, and so she just lives at the house. And that's
1: a great reveal, too. She goes home uh, one day after Christmas and opens a gift, and she says something to the maid, like, oh, mom. And I was like, mom? Oh, she doesn't – she's not the daughter of the owner of the house. Like, her mother's the maid, and she lives there, too. Uh, And that is information we have that Sean Penn will not have for a very long
0: time. And that's sort of something that, you know, her character holds a grudge against Sean Penn's character because she thinks – He's only after her because she's rich, but he really sort of doesn't care about that.
1: Yeah, it's not important to him whatsoever. It was never important to him, really. The only thing, the only reason it mattered to him is he didn't think he'd be good enough for her.
0: And so they sort of start out this relationship on kind of tenuous ground, and things aren't necessarily, you know, it's not it's not going great, but it, it, it's sort of like weird to me that he takes... It takes him so long to bust out his amazing piano playing skills like you would think that you know somebody back at a piano if they're trying to win over a girl they would bust that out like as soon as they possibly can but it seems like it takes a while for him to get there yeah
1: you would think he'd have orchestrated some kind of plan to get her in front of a piano and hearing him play (laughs) instead you know he's sort of just luckily she sort of sees the charm in him when they're at the uso show like he's of He's almost a klutz and she sees the way he handles being made fun of and just brushes it off and that gives him a chance and they hang out. He takes her to an abandoned theater, I think. I'm not exactly sure. But there's a piano there and he yeah. straight up seduces her with those magic fingers.
0: What I thought was sort of interesting and I was trying to – I noticed this about halfway through the piano shots and I tried to follow along. I don't think Sean Penn can actually play the piano because they never show him actually playing it's always shots of hands, and then they cut up, and it just without his hand.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I believe they're just a hand double.
0: Yeah, it looks like they're like at like an abandoned theater, like that just overlooks the water. Like I don't understand what this building is.
1: Yeah, it looked as if it was burnt at one point, or maybe it was built too close to the shore, so it like in a storm it got destroyed. But uh, there's this
0: like perfectly tuned piano there <laughs> that nobody's taken away, nobody's vandalized. It's just sort of hanging out waiting to be played, and that's sort of where he wins her heart. And it
1: sort of turns out to be a make-out point of of a sorts, too, as they end up making out there.
0: But not as much of a make-out point as in the middle of that lake, right. which is kind of adorable. He like leads her on a scavenger hunt to find this lake that was it. his dad, or was it Nick Cage's dad? It was his dad. Yeah. Sort of hid a watch for the boys and like left them a treasure map to go find it and they went and they hunted down the watch, and so it's like the secret place that only belongs to them, and he brings her there, and things get pretty hot and heavy.
1: Yeah, in the middle of winter.
0: But, like, it's January in California, and it seems like it looks really nice outside.
1: Yeah, and I just assume that it's always warm in California. (laughs) It never gets below 60.
0: I think. Yeah, but even, like, if it's 60 degrees, I guess the water's not warm at all. Like, it's just... Yeah, and again, it's... You Uncomfortably know, cold.
1: Cold in relation to someone who's lived in California their entire life, as is, I assume the character has. They would know, I guess, the difference in air temperature better than me.
0: But she doesn't care, and she goes in, and they start making out. And they, That's sort of the real, like... A real sort of turning point in their relationship. That's where they sort I guess that's sort of where they become really sort of serious.
1: Yeah, I believe they're both in love with each other at this point, and she's stopped... Well, aside from telling him that uh, she's not really lying. Uh, see, it's kind of tough. Like, they both get to be themselves at this point, you know? But she's still harboring a secret. Yeah, it's, it's not entirely damaging at this point you know if it were to come out it's not until later when they start relying on the status that she imagines she's rich and they they need to use that then it becomes sort of a problem
0: right and like we were saying before like sean penn doesn't care whether she's rich or poor he's just in love with her it seems like nick cage is the one who really is obsessed with her being rich because she'll be able to help him when he's in a bind
1: yeah if their plan to get the 150 you know doesn't work then nick cage is like okay she's our plan b
0: so about halfway through the movie it cuts to nick cage and sean penn just hanging out on a rooftop drinking the next five minutes are pretty much just drunk cage being amazing
1: yeah they start out on top of the bowling alley and it's sort of it seems like it's a uh, dusk, and then the next scene, they are wrecked, walking in some alleyway at nighttime, and they are hammered. <laughs> it's you know, it's awesome. And Cage is is um, talking. All right, I caught this that Nick Cage is talking about this submarine movie starring Tyrone Power, and how like he's a total badass when the sub is is uh, flooding and everyone's on fire.
2: So they're in the submarine, right? And the Japs are going at him with everything they got. Guys are drowning. Guys are on fire. There are sharks and they got guns. So you know what Tyrone Power says? He says, fuck them! Just like that. Tyrone Power never said fuck. Right. Them. And that's what he does it. He just he just serves me on Tokyo Harbor. Jeez! With balls. Maybe we should join the submarine corps.
1: So I looked up that movie and I think he's talking about crash dive which is a okay. Tyrone Power film, but it didn't come out until 1943. I guess this is... we <laughs> Are in we in 1943? Is this the week between Christmas and New Year's? Because they never celebrate New Year's, so I don't know when we're switching years, but uh, he must have just seen that movie. He was first in line, and I love yes. that about his character. And then uh, they spot a tattoo parlor.
0: Well, before they do that, there's one little moment... Oh, it's
1: a great where, moment. Oh, yes, back it up.
0: ...where Sean Penn is like... Hey, man, you gotta stop drinking. You're drunk.
2: You wouldn't know a pussy if you saw one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You know why? You know why? Because you drink too much. Me? It pisses me off. Pisses me off badly. Because when you drink too much, it makes your brain soft. <laughs> Let me I gotta show you something. Before I started drinking, I could not do that. Why would you wanna do that? It gives me pleasure. Wowie! Wowie
0: And <laughs> Nick Cage is like Yeah, but like, I couldn't do this if I wasn't drunk. He does like this little weird little dance move. Yeah, it's almost like a marionette shimmy where he
1: like has his like arms up and he's moving his body all weird. I love it. <laughs> it's terrific. And then they see the tattoo parlor and they and they both say wowie and and it is like I Fell on the floor because they're like (laughs) wowie, and they're not like they're doing it because kids then their age would would use that term. Like that's what came to mind. I was like, they're selling it. They just you know, especially Nick, where he turned and he's like, wowie,
0: a tattoo parlor, and they walk in and drunk cage. I'm not sure if this is true for sober cage, but drunk cage has an obsession with eagles. He has this vision of him getting a huge eagle tattoo on his chest. And then I guess over in war, just being like, just no shirt on, no jacket, no armor, just like running over a hill and just shooting whatever enemies happen to see him. Right here,
2: clear across my goddamn chest. A real patriot. Mm -hmm, Damn right! In just four short weeks, me and my buddy here are gonna be proud members of the United States Marine Corps. Lucky us! (laughs) (laughs) Listen, kid, I'm gonna do you a favor. I'm not going to put anything on your chest. That way, when you wake up in the morning, you still have that wonderful baby pink skin. You thank me, believe me. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. This is the bird of freedom we're talking about here. Ain't no American that wouldn't be proud to carry that over his heart. You ought to cut down on the newsreels, kid. Hey, what is this? You give tattoos or advice. <laughs> All right. How much do you boys got? Uh. I uh, um, got a dollar twenty five. I got thirteen cents. A dollar thirty eight will get you a sparrow on your elbow. A <laughs> sparrow? Well, how about a snake coming out of your navel? Now, that's real popular. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. He's kidding, right, huh? <laughs> I'm talking about the high flying red, white, and blue bird of freedom here. The bird of freedom don't come cheap.
0: So the other thing I noticed in the tattoo parlor is that Nick Cage is ripped. Like, he pulls his shirt up to show the guy where he wants a tattoo, and he's got, like, an eight-pack of abs.
1: And he keeps his shirt up with the abs revealed for the entire sequence. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as the shirt goes up, it does not go down until they cut.
0: And Sean Penn's just standing there, just sort of giggling the whole time. And the
1: tattoo artist, like, looks at Cage, and he's like, man, you are... This face drunk i ain't giving you no tattoo like i'm gonna give you some advice instead get out of here and go sober up because yeah i'm saving you from a horrible decision after they leave the tattoo shop they end up on the train tracks just sort of stumbling along hanging out drunk remembering the good times
0: and i think it's sort of like the movie starts with sean penn walking on the train tracks and he sees two little boys and like you don't realize until this scene that those little boys are sort of him in the cage 8 or 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, that was nice. That was I put that together around the same time.
0: It's a nice little touch that these two little boys who are still living sort of in an innocent world, they're not a month away from getting shipped off to somewhere in Germany or Europe or Japan or whatever. They they don't have they don't have they don't have the worries that these two characters have.
1: Now what happens next sort of made me wonder if these two are some kind of thrill junkies and uh, that's why they're going to war for the sort of extreme action and sense of feeling alive because they straight up train dodge it's a really uh strong sequence i thought uh, really well shot and uh they call they do what they call racing the train right uh, which is basically you know wait for the train to get as close to you as possible dodge it uh, and then if you
0: survive that
1: run as fast as you can and hold on to the train and, and ride on the side of it for as long as, as you can hold on.
0: And I guess that's sort of where the name of the movie comes from, but I don't know, and maybe I'm missing something obvious, I don't know where the the, the moon part comes from the, the, the title. Do you?
1: No, I was curious if it was named after a song title or something, you know, if that was the inspiration. But sure. ultimately, I just sort of supplemented the moon to mean the night and then ultimately the night to mean like their freedom so they're sort of racing with their freedom you know before they have to go to war they're getting okay. you know they're trying to live the most they can bef- before they uh, have to fight
0: i guess racing with the night would also make sense but that would sort of be like a darker movie than this one
1: yeah that might come later in cage's career i i could see that being the sure. name of something that he stars in
0: the next scene is one of the Funniest scenes, I think, in the movie. Um, but it also sort of shows just how much of a different time the 1940s are from today. They're at school, and I guess it's like a class or something. And they're all basically just doing military training. People dead in the field, and nurses going around, and you know, medics going around trying to attend to injured and dead bodies.
1: Yeah, it appeared to me like some sort of air raid drill. Like they are, they are on the coast on California. You know, so so they are in distance of japan at the time you know they're not you know they are in danger of being attacked so it, it seemed to be some kind of drill as if the school was attacked and students are strewn about the entire front of the school
0: but there's there's like people like laying all over the ground just covered in fake blood one guy's got a sign that just says shot all over <laughs> like <laughs> like just like pinned to his chest basically like don't worry about me i'm way gone and he's just laying there sort of smiling, laughing. Like, there's, like, a sense of innocence here that you're in the middle of the biggest war in history, really. And to a lot of these kids, it it just doesn't – it doesn't click. It doesn't make sense to them.
1: It also sort of reminded me of Duck and Cover and, later on, how much of a joke that became because you just aren't protected whatsoever. So they're almost making light of the situation of, like, hey, if we're attacked, like, we're going to die. And, you know, there's no surviving an attack. Like, (laughs) who are we kidding? Like, they're just sort of – Projecting the absurdity of the whole situation
0: and Nick cage is you know he steals the show again from this <laughs> he gets picked up on a stretcher and like a nurse like walks away to go attend to someone else and he just says to her hey come back nurse I want to show you my wound and then as he's getting carried away he's just like grabbing other nurses butts and just stu- and she, he's there, he's just doing the same thing he was doing at the bowling alley. In this, essentially, you know, life or death situation.
1: He is a complete prankster. That's what I wrote wrote down. Prankster.
0: And it makes him so enjoyable to watch.
1: It makes him endearing for some of the other things that he does as a character. You know, ultimately, you're not necessarily supposed to like everything about him, but it's... That adds to the reality of you know, friendship. Your friends are your friends, and you accept them for who they are. And exactly. there's something about Cage, and at moments, you hate him, you know his character. And at other moments, you just love his character. So it's, you, know, you would take the good with the bad. I would be this character's friend. I would try to be, if he would let you me be.
0: And I don't think like, he's necessarily a bad guy. Like, he, he gets into a little bit of a, a bad situation, and he doesn't handle it well. But I don't think that necessarily makes him a bad guy. I mean, Sean Penn has problems with that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. He's not necessarily a bad guy. He just isn't equipped. Like, he just isn't equipped to be an adult yet.
1: Yeah. But then we get to the tangerine scene.
0: The tangerine scene. They're just back at the bowling alley, just sort of cleaning up, and Nick Cage is just singing along the tangerine, off-key and wonderfully.
1: He is in full crooner mode here. This has to is this around the time i imagine sinatra first started out you know around this era maybe and i got that vibe from him like even though his voice isn't pleasing he has the look down he does have the look he's got that crooner look and uh, i hope we see more of that look next week not to get too far ahead with the cotton club
0: we were saying in the last episode that he would have fit perfectly into the outsiders i also think that nick cage as the person would have fit perfectly into the Rat Pack, the you know the Sinatra group. The yeah,
1: Joey Bishop, you know Frank mm-hmm. Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Nicholas Cage.
0: He's sort of like, and I think that's something that we we do. That's what we love about him is that he is kind of a chameleon in his roles that he could take on any persona, any whatever. But I think that he could also just sort of that makes that he could fit into any era, any group of people. He can pull it off.
1: He's got this timelessness to him like he you know like he fits into any decade almost you know he can just adjust to it adapt to any time he needs to be in it's terrific and something in this scene i recognized he pretty much has his nick cage voice at this point that he's going to have from now on you know he sounds like he's going to sound for the rest of his career which i found a little shocking because it's a voice coming out of a face that uh, you know this this older this voice coming out of this younger face it's just it it was uh it moved me for a minute
0: yeah because he's only 20 in this movie i just like so much that he's basically playing to his age i mean he's maybe a little a few years older than his character actually is like he looks like he could play you know 30 or 35 or whatever but he's still playing these characters telling the stories of people that like his generation his age group wants to tell and sort of are important for his age group to tell.
1: Yeah, that's a good call. I wonder if that has something to do with what we were talking earlier why there's similarities between his his different works so far is because they all sort of so far have been about teenagers sort of the same age dealing with the same types of issues and these patterns have just been emerging and it's really cool that as an actor he I wonder if he's gonna continue to do this and only play his actual age in a movie that would be amazing
0: we, we'll find out I, I, I think I mean of the ones I've seen I think that's pretty much true um, I don't think he's ever played sort of significantly older or younger but I mean we'll find out like we' we're, we're, we're in the middle of it
1: Like any old cage makeup, (laughs) that would be terrific. I can't wait to find out because I haven't seen everything. So, I, I mean, it could be out there.
0: There could be some, there probably is some real weird stuff out there we just don't know about. So, the next scene is the scene we were talking about earlier. The next scene is the pool scene. And at this point in the movie, Nick Cage's girlfriend is pregnant and she needs $150 to get an abortion. Nick Cage goes up to Sean Penn and basically says, hey do you want to do that thing again so it's a, it's a it's a it's a hustle that they've run in the past that they it seems like they almost got beaten up really bad or you know almost killed the guy there who was successful once
1: did you think it was what it was right off the bat i thought they were going to rob someplace. and that's you know he was like we almost got killed
0: i thought it might be a robbery too i guess we could have or should have put two and two together that they spent a lot of time playing pool but also when you're when you're watching people play pool in a movie it's a very visual thing for characters to be doing while they're talking about something else. Yes. Um, so I don't think it's something that, you know, necessarily reflects poorly on us as movie watchers that we didn't pick up that they're, you know, really adept at pool. But yeah, so their, their hustle is sort of the oldest pool hustle in the book. It's the white men can't jump hustle. It's <laughs>
1: Page one, <laughs> you know, chapter one, paragraph
0: one. <laughs> they're going to go to a bar, see people playing pool, challenge them to a game, lose a couple games, then bet big, win big, Get the money and run out of there. there. There's two sailors playing pool, and Nick Cage goes over to them and says, "Hey, do you guys want to play pool? You want to play for money?" And they're sort of skeptical or whatever. And then he's like, "Oh, I can't play, but my friend over there can play." And like all of this, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, like we can do this." Are these sailors really this gullible? Like, have they ever? Have they never heard of a con like this before? And you know, it's still in the. We're losing to them on purpose, and then all of a sudden they ramp it up. They're like, "All right, this game, 150 bucks."
1: Well, what happens is more sailors enter the bar. Yeah, so they have to sort of advance the plan ahead of time. I felt, you know, they're like, "Let's let's just let's skip to the end of this hustle and you know break out the big guns."
0: And so the the four sailors together have 150 dollars between them, and they put it up, and. All of a sudden, in a move that I love for this movie, when Sean Penn's about to, you know, hustle him out of 150 bucks, all of a sudden, the sailor, like, it's like a double con all along. Like, he's just as good a pool as Sean Penn is, if not better. He just starts, like, running the table. Nick Cage basically goes to Sean like, he's like, what's happening? He's like, this guy's a lot better pool than he was five minutes ago.
1: Yeah, it was terrific. I don't know if you could say I you know i kind of saw it come in but i you know i'd not seen this before so i wasn't exactly sure but it did seem like things were going a little too swimmingly and then once uh like they start with the swing music and the you know sing 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 comes on and louis prima and and it's on and it's you know like a like a full on pool montage <laughs> you know battle you know to the end like i was like all right he was messing with them just as much he knew the whole time it was just like a double con like you said
0: sean pence challenged like the weirdest game of pool i've ever seen like i've never heard of people playing this game of pool maybe you have instead of playing eight ball or nine ball both common games that i know how to know what the rules are you just have to sink balls until you miss one and it's the first one to sink 100 balls wins the money like, have you ever heard of this? It just seems like a weird game to be playing.
1: I gotta be honest, I couldn't exactly follow what game they were playing, because he goes, let's play straight pool, first to 100 wins, and then after he says "Rack 'em up, and when the guy racks him, he writes 14 under the points column. And I'm like, how did he score 14 points if he... What is going on? Like, what is the scoring system of this game? No, I mean, they took advantage of my lack of knowledge of the game billiards.
0: So eight ball is their stripes and their solids, and one person breaks. And then if it's me against you and I have solids, as soon as I get all the solids in, then I can aim for the 8-ball. And if I get the 8-ball in, I win. Or vice versa for stripes. If you get all the stripes in before I get all the solids in, then you can shoot the 8-ball in, you win. Yes. In 9-ball, we're both going for the next ball in order. Okay. So you go 1-9, through nine, and whoever sinks the 9-ball wins. Okay. This game just seems to be, sink whatever ball you want, and out of the 15 balls that are on the table... You get however many points you sunk in that game.
1: Okay, so that almost makes sense until the final shot, then, because he goes, like, he doesn't have a shot. He doesn't have a shot. And then he makes, like, the the sailor makes a trick shot and gets, like, the three ball in the corner pocket. And it's like, well, if he could just, like, shoot any ball in any pocket, why was he aiming specifically for that ball? I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily make the scene any less awesome, because it's just great filmmaking. It's just
0: weird, because like, the tension's not any higher, because it could just be like, we'll play 8-ball, first to win seven games or whatever, and they could be both tied at six, and then you, Sean Penn misses a shot, the sailor sinks it to win. It just, it's sort of weird, but whatever the game is, whatever rules they're playing by, it's really entertaining, it's really exciting. In sort of classic storytelling, the sailor goes up early, Sean Penn comes back, The sailor gets up, Sean Penn catches up again, and then misses a shot that sort of, or doesn't have a shot, and then the sailor wins.
1: Yeah, I got kind of a Rounders vibe out of this scene, you know? I almost felt like Nick Cage was worm, and he was, like, setting up the grift and everything, and, you know, I guess that would make Sean Penn, Matt Damon in this situation.
0: And I guess all the sailors are John Malkovich?
1: Well, they would be the cops in that scene where they go to the suburbs to play that game and get caught oh sure okay and get beat i guess you know but it's like the same like you said it's like classic grifting hustle 101 but it i don't know i love the escalation uh it was great because you just you know if they lose they're gonna get their asses kicked (laughs) because there's four sailors like each of them twice the size of them and they um they're pissed
0: i'm watching the pool scene right now and when they rack them up i guess they're just missing a ball on the table which is just weird. Or maybe this is the rules of the game, we just don't understand. But when they rack them up, they just have 14 out of 15 in the triangle.
1: Okay. So that's
0: why it's 14. So basically, you know, when you go up 14 nothing, that means that he sunk all the balls without giving Sean Penn a chance to shoot.
1: Okay, That I uh, get it
0: now. So so the sailor wins, and Nicky's like, all right, here's your money. I gotta get going. And the sailor's like, you don't mind if we count it, do you? He's like, oh, sure, go ahead and count it. I'm just gonna get going. <laughs> and they stop him. And there's like $12 and then just all counterfeit money. like obviously like Monopoly money. Their genius plan to sneak out the fire exit backfires because the fire exit is locked, which seems like it's a safety hazard, first of all. Yeah,
1: I wonder if one of the sailors like locked it in the middle of the game when no one was looking because they knew that, uh, regardless, these guys were going to beat their ass.
0: That, I guess, is the only thing that makes sense. I'm stretching. Um,
1: I am stretching. <laughs> is, you just but, don't lock a fire exit. Because Nick Cage is like, don't worry, there's a fire exit. <laughs> we're going to get home clearing. You know? We'll be we'll be out in no time.
0: So the sailors win. They grab Cage and Penn, and they're about to attack him. But they both like swing a pool cue and somehow get past all four get outside barricade the door with the pool cues get in their car in the mo- in a bit of made for the movies tension car doesn't start and then they eventually get away
1: and it's uh it's it's sean penn's character it's his birthday we find out like i just love the way information is revealed in this movie <laughs> like they get home from losing the pool game and they're all depressed and everything and his dad's like where you been your mother's been waiting for you it's your birthday gosh you crazy kids i'm like
0: it's his birthday like that is
1: great you know that's just wonderful detail
0: but that proves like just sort of how good a guy sean penn is that like on his birthday he's willing to risk getting his ass kicked by four sailors just to help his friend get out of a bind
1: yeah good point
0: that's why sean penn is just genuinely a good guy in this movie so after the pool game they fail to get the money they go back to sean penn's house his dad yells at them about not being there on his birthday and Caddy's there. And they're like, hey, we needed money. You know, Nick Cage is in a bind. We need $150. So Nick Cage says to her, hey, you're rich. Just give me the money.
1: Yeah. And then she and Henry, uh, she's like, what's going on, Henry? Why do you need the money? And he's like, you know, Sally needs an abortion. That We tried. We tried. You know, I didn't want to ask. You know, I don't care if you're rich or not, but we need the money. So then she goes to the house she lives and she tries to steal the pearls from the girl who lives there and gets caught but the girl doesn't even know she's stealing them she's like oh let's try them on and then um caddy just like breaks down crying and it was like such a good kid she's like i was gonna steal these because i need money for an abortion not my abortion uh, well she doesn't say what she needs the money for but right. she does eventually uh get the money for them even though uh she's not rich
0: yeah it doesn't like the the girl that she's about to steal the pearls from is basically just like like i'll help you like doesn't she she gets the money from her right
1: yeah she gets the money from her she's like i'll pay you back and uh we don't we don't know if she ever does but the girl there is just like yeah no problem like
0: <laughs> i got you covered like do you, like do you see the house i live in like yeah i can give you 150 dollars yeah really all you need to do is ask and so the four of them nick cage and his pregnant girlfriend sean penn and uh elizabeth govern all go to the abortion trailer in the woods and they walk her to the door and nick cage is like well bye That sort of makes everybody angry. Yeah, Nick Cage doesn't even
1: get out of the car to walk his girlfriend to the door. Like uh, Caddy gets out, and then Sean Penn is like, I should probably get out too. And then um, he is uh, very
0: insensitive. I remember later in the movie, Sean Penn's like, Man, you didn't even hold the door for her.
1: Oh, I think when when they dropped her off, she like when they drop her off at home, she like opens her own door to the car and like gets out and like walks to her own front door, and it's like and all she's very like, sad.
0: And she's like way disoriented. Like she just had an abortion. She like she should, probably shouldn't be like walking. She should be like you know rolled around in a wheelchair. And then instead, he's just like basically sitting in the car drinking, driving around. Like it's such a big deal for him. Like he did not have to pay for the hundred fifty dollars he didn't have the abortion and like he's acting like it's the the worst thing in the world that's ever happened to him
1: yeah and uh sean penn like calls him out on it too you know (laughs) it's like you think you're having a bad day you know (laughs) what about sally
0: so then caddy basically just says enough's enough pull over i want to get out she gets out and she's just disgusted and i think she's sort of mad she sort of has like displaced anger towards sean penn i think it's mostly just because he'd be friends with a guy like nick cage it doesn't really unless i'm missing something doesn't really make sense why he she's sort of mad at Sean Penn
1: it seems to be her general frustration with the whole situation this is right when she's gonna tell Sean Penn that she's not in fact rich so her facade is lifted at this point right she's got nothing to hide behind anymore so she just sort of is I just think that she's just like so emotionally wound up that she just explodes right like it kind of comes from every direction it's just like everything that's been bothering her comes out at once and she projects it at Sean Penn
0: they basically break up that's not like made a big deal about but like it seems like their relationship is over he's about to ship off to war Nick Cage thinks like he's like why do you why do you like this girl you just want like a picture of a girl for your wallet and Sean Penn's basically like, no like I love her like this is the girl for me like right before they're about to ship out she's like I'm done with you I'm done with it I'm moving on and so then Sean Penn goes and talks to his dad he talks to Nick Cage and then he hatches just like Nick Cage one back Valley Girl in Valley Girl Sean Penn has, like, an adorable plan to get this girl back.
1: Yes, the map.
0: He goes to her door and leaves her a letter with a treasure map to the place where they first made out, first had sex. She follows the map, and she she finds a present, and she opens the present, and it's a pair of shoes that she had wanted earlier when she and Sean Penn were sort of on a date. That was sort of, I guess, his first inkling that she wasn't rich, He's like, oh, they were just $25, why wouldn't you buy them? And she's like, well, why would I?
1: Yeah, she says, we, we can't buy everything we want. And that's a good line because it doesn't say that she's not rich, you know, but it gives him an idea of the way she thinks, like her philosophy of life. You know, like, he, he now sees her as not someone who would just buy anything she wanted just to make someone or something, you know, or herself happy.
0: And there's a lot of information in this movie that certain characters know and certain characters know about other characters. And certain characters know that those other characters know. And you're, it's never really clear who knows she's rich, who thinks she's rich. When she goes to buy the shoes, she says, you know, you can't always buy what you want. I think that sort of shakes up Sean Penn's worldview a little bit. Because at that point, she doesn't know, I don't think, that Sean Penn thinks she's rich,
1: right? Well, no, he thinks she's rich. But does
0: she know that he thinks she's rich?
1: Oh, that is a good that's a good point i'm not sure when she listen <laughs> to how we're talking i'm not sure when she knows that <laughs> he knows that she's rich
0: and that's sort of in like when she finally finds out i don't think she knows at that point because when she finally realizes that he thinks she's a gatsby she gets really upset oh
1: yeah her friend kind of tells her right the one that she right. tries, she's like
0: oh he thinks you're rich
1: and she's like oh
0: huh. but her her, her, friend, her friend's like you know why do you even care like you don't love him do you And she's just like, well... Maybe. And so after she finds the treasure map, after she gets the shoes, they make up, and it's the last scene of the movie. The train is leaving to go off to war.
1: I have some problems with this ending. Um, We'll get to there when we get to the very end of it. But uh, what did you think of Nick Cage's outfit? Did you notice it?
0: I mean, he's wearing like a weird white sweater sort of thing. And he's
1: got like a white and red bow tie
0: it's very strange it is
1: like something his character like it almost feels like we're supposed to feel like he i don't know like he was all dressed in white he was getting on that train i think he's going off to die you know i think it's like he's a you know he's going to be a ghost like from now on i don't know that's why i sort of had an issue with the end of it because they like they well like the train takes off well caddy gives henry the picture for his wallet yep um, Yep. which is hilarious that was a great payoff (laughs) I I actually, I did, I smiled and chuckled at that moment. And then, like, the train goes, and uh, Nick Cage and Sean Penn, they they, they race. They just don't get on. They just don't get on. They just, like, stand there and, like, start smiling at each other like,
0: and everybody's freaking out.
1: The dad's like, "You're missing the train. What is wrong with you?"
0: And it's like they—it's like they planned it because they're just like, "Hey, totally normal. This is how we get on trains." Yeah, you,
1: this isn't just the only time we do this. Like, anytime we need to get on a train, we we chase after it and jump on the back.
0: For a second, I almost sort of thought, "Wait, are they just not going to go to war?" Like, I thought that maybe, like, the end of the movie would be like, "No, we're just going to stay here. Like, we we got what we want now. We're just going to stay here." That would
1: have been great if the train just pulls out. And they're standing there, and the <laughs> everyone's looking, like, really confused, and the movie just ends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but instead, they do what they do earlier in the movie. They jump aboard the train. They're headed off to war, and the credits roll.
1: But they're waving and laughing. They're like, bye. We're going off to war. We're going to die now. And I just, like, I know it's supposed to be an uplifting end because everybody's happy. But I, right. but I wasn't happy for some reason because all I could think of is like tomorrow they're overseas, you know, in a couple months they're in
0: cages in a body cages bag. Cages
1: in a body bag, exactly. And, you know, did Sean Penn ever write? And I'm just, you know, all these thoughts are going through my head. Some might be answered in Wind Talkers. I was thinking ahead Ooh. <laughs> about Cage at War. Nevertheless, yeah, I, 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 don't know. They, they go for the happy ending, and I just, I don't know. I just, some, something in me just wasn't buying it. Even though, even though I, I like this movie a lot.
0: Yeah, I, this is another one of the movies that I almost knew nothing about, and I really liked it. Like this and *Valley Girl*, the two that like I hadn't seen, really liked both of them, and they're they're very tonally different. But I really liked both of them, you know, like we said, the ending of this one is sort of weird and funky.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the just tone uh, at the end for me. I'm sure everybody has their own opinion about the ending, and that's fine. But uh, otherwise, like, I was very impressed with this movie. You know, very solid writing. These kids were great actors, you know, Cage it, Sean Penn, like it makes sense that I enjoyed it, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it's very well crafted. Even this writer, could you believe what this the writer has gone on to write?
0: He basically just wrote Harry Potter for the screen. Yeah, he
1: wrote all the Harry Potter movies,
0: which is crazy,
1: you know, stuck to his sensibilities, right? You know, he's is good with kids and writing kid problems or kids dealing with big problems.
0: So that pretty much does it for this episode of Cage Club, the podcast. Next up we have the Cotton Club, which is I, I don't know anything about it, and I sort of like not knowing anything about these movies. Like, all I know is that it, Nick Cage is in it to some extent, and we're there for the ride. But it's a Richard Gere movie set in... The jazz era? I'm not sure. Is it like in the 1920s? Do you know? Yeah. Have you seen the Cotton Club?
1: I have seen it once. It takes place at the legendary Cotton Club, I believe, the one in Harlem in the 1920s. Okay. So it's sort of based on actual hearsay. <laughs> uh, okay. It was like the um, Studio 54 of its time, I guess. You know, It's just like all the legendary jazz acts were coming out of that.
0: Gotcha. I really like period piece Nicholas Cage. We got him in the 40s, and, well, really, in the last one, in Rumblefish, he's sort of, it could be 80s, but we sort of have him like 1960s maybe Cage. Yeah. Now we have 40s Cage... Next up is 1920s Cage. Amazing.
1: Cage in every decade would be so great by the end of this entire endeavor. would not be happier if that happened.
0: He's he's just nailing it. He's just on point. If you like what you heard today, if you just found this somehow, check out our blog. It's cageclub.me. We write reviews for three movies a week. We put up podcasts three times a week. Podcast is on iTunes. Podcast is also hosted on our site. You can follow me on Twitter at Soulpopped, and you can follow Mike on Twitter at themikster. And both of those uh, Twitter links are in the sidebar on our homepage of Cage Club. So if you want to follow us, if you want to let us know how you think we're doing, go ahead and feel free. Yeah,
1: and if you did find us on iTunes, take the time to give us a rating, because apparently that helps, I heard, from listening to other podcasts. You want to go and rate us? positive or negative but hopefully positive
0: so i mean i guess the ultimate goal the ultimate dream of this would be to meet Nicolas cage we don't think that's going to happen but if it somehow did it would be the best thing ever
1: yes uh, entirely agree <laughs> you know this is already worth it for me and I, I look forward to continuing the show but i mean that would just be like a, a wish granted from a genie somewhere that <laughs> we would have met and you know possibly interview Nicolas cage
0: and it all begins with you rating and reviewing us on itunes so for Mike Manzi, I'm Joey Lewandowski. This was episode 5 of Cage Club, Racing with the Moon. If you want to watch the movie, if you like the way it sounded, it is available for streaming on Netflix. So it's one of those ones, a lot of his early stuff isn't available out there for free, so you sort of have to pay for it. But this one, you can, you can catch for free, so that's pretty cool. I suppose that'll do it for today. All right, see you next time.
2: Tangerine, she is all. of night and lips as bright as flame. Tandereens. when she dances by. Siguritas stare and caballeros sigh. And I've seen And tangerine. Had the bourgeoisie believing she were queen. Yes, she's had them all on the run, but her heart belongs to just one. Her heart belongs to tangerine. Why do I like you, my kid? Because when the heat's on, there's nobody can lay down a set of pins faster than me. I'm the best you got. No, you're not. Oh. Well, then, you got me, boss.